Hi everyone, Andrew here. Soon, it will be time to start a new book on Send Me to Sleep, and we want you to help us decide what to read. Follow the link in the episode show notes and submit your vote. Thanks a lot. Welcome to Send Me to Sleep, the place to find a good night's rest. My name's Andrew, and I'm so pleased you've joined me tonight and taken this time for yourself to ensure you get a peaceful night's sleep. Tonight, I'll be reading Part 2, Chapters 26 to 28 of Anna Karenina by Leo Tolstoy. In the last chapter, Vronsky bitterly lost at the races. In tonight's story, Alexei Alexandrovich discovers he is in poor health. If you haven't already, find a nice place to get cozy. Take a deep, relaxing breath. And settle your body in whatever way feels most comfortable. Now all you'll need to do is follow the sound of my voice. So let your eyes fall heavy and your breath soften as we settle in for a peaceful night's sleep. Chapter 26 The external relations of Alexei Alexandrovich and his wife had remained unchanged. The sole difference lay in the fact that he was more busily occupied than ever. As in former years, at the beginning of the spring, he had gone to a foreign watering place for the sake of his health. Deranged by the winter's work that every year grew heavier. And just as always, he returned in July and at once fell to work as usual with increased energy. As usual, too, his wife had moved for the summer to a villa out of town while he remained in Petersburg. From the date of their conversation after the party at Princess Vertskaya's, he had never spoken again to Anna of his suspicions and of his jealousies, and that habitual tone of his bantering mimicry was the most convenient tone possible for his present attitude to his wife. He was a little colder than his wife. He simply seemed to be slightly displeased with her for that first midnight conversation, which she had repelled. In his attitude to her, there was a shade of vexation, but nothing more. You would not be open with me, he seemed to say, mentally addressing her. So much the worse for you. Now you may beg as you please, but I won't be open with you. So much the worse for you, he said mentally, 
like a man who, after vainly attempting to extinguish a fire, should fly in a rage with his vain efforts to say, Oh, very well then, you shall burn for this. This man, so subtle and astute in official life, did not realize all the senselessness of such an attitude to his wife. He did not realize it because it was too terrible to him to realize his actual position, and he shut down and locked and sealed up his heart that the secret place where lay hid his feelings towards his family, that is, his wife and son. He who had been such a careful father had from the end of that winter become peculiarly frigid to his son, and adopted to him just the same bantering tone he used with his wife. Aha, uh -huh, young man, was the greeting with which he met him. Alexei Alexandrovich asserted and believed that he had never in any previous year had so much official business as that year. But he was not aware that he sought work for himself that year, that this was one of the means for keeping shut that secret place where lay hid his feelings towards his wife and son, and his thoughts about them, which became more terrible the longer they lay there. If anyone had had the right to ask Alexei Alexandrovich what he thought of his wife's behavior, the mild and peaceful Alexei Alexandrovich would have made no answer, but he would have been greatly angered with any man who should question him on that subject. For this reason, there positively came into Alexei Alexandrovich's face a look of haughtiness and severity whenever anyone inquired after his wife's health. Alexei Alexandrovich did not want to think at all about his wife's behavior, and he actually succeeded in not thinking about it at all. Alexei Alexandrovich's permanent summer villa was in Peterhof and the Countess Lydia Ivanova used it as a rule to spend the summer there, close to Anna, and constantly seeing her. That year, Countess Lydia Ivanova declined to settle in Peterhof, was not once at Anna Arkadyevna's, and in conversation with Alexei Alexandrovich, hinted at the unsubtlety of Anna's close intimacy with Betsy and Vronsky. Alexei Alexandrovich sternly cut her short, roundly declaring his wife to be above suspicion, and from that time began to avoid Countess Lydia Ivanova. He did not want to see, and did not see, that many people in society cast dubious glances on his wife. He did not want to understand, and did not understand, why his wife had so particularly insisted on staying at Sarsko, where Betsy was staying, and not far from the camp of Vronsky's regiment. He did not allow himself to think about it, and he did not think about it, but all the same, 
though he never admitted it to himself, and had no proofs, not even suspicious evidence, in the bottom of his heart. He knew beyond all doubt that he was a deceived husband, and he was profoundly miserable about it. How often, during those eight years of happy life with his wife, Alexei Alexandrovich had looked at other men's faithless wives and other deceived husbands and asked himself, how can people descend to that? How is it they don't put an end to such a hideous position? But now, when the misfortune had come upon himself, he was so far from thinking of putting an end to the position that he would not recognize it at all, would not recognize it just because it was too awful, too unnatural. Since his return from abroad, Alexei Alexandrovich had twice been at their country villa. Once he dined there, another time he spent the evening there with a party of friends, but he had not once stayed the night there. But he had not once stayed the night there, as it had been his habit to do in previous years. The day of the races had been a very busy day for Alexei Alexandrovich, but when mentally sketching out the day in the morning, he made up his mind to go to their country house to see his wife immediately after dinner, and from there to go to the races, which all the court were to witness and at which he was bound to be present. He was going to see his wife, because he had determined to see her once a week to keep up appearances. And besides, on that day, as it was the 15th, he had to give his wife some money for her expenses, according to their usual arrangement. With his habitual control over his thoughts, Though he thought all this about his wife, he did not let his thoughts stray further in regard to her. That morning was a very full one for Alexei Alexandrovich. The evening before, Countess Lydia Ivanova had sent him a pamphlet by a celebrated traveller in China who was staying in Petersburg, and with it she enclosed a note begging him to see the traveller himself, as he was an extremely interesting person from various points of view, and likely to be useful. Alexei Alexandrovich had not had time to read the pamphlet through in the evening, and finished it in the morning. Then people began arriving with petitions, and there came the reports, interviews, appointments, dismissals, apportionment of rewards, pensions, grants, notes, the workday round, as Alexei Alexandrovich called it, that always took up so much time. Then there was private business of his own, a visit from the doctor and the steward who managed his property. The steward did not take up much time. He simply gave Alexei Alexandrovich the money he needed, together with a brief statement of the position of his affairs, which was not altogether satisfactory, 
as it had happened that during that year, owing to increased expenses, more had been paid out than usual, and there was a deficit. But the doctor, a celebrated Petersburg doctor, who was an intimate acquaintance of Alexei Alexandrovich, took up a great deal of time. Alexei Alexandrovich had not expected him that day, and was surprised at his visit, and still more so when the doctor questioned him very carefully about his health, listened to his breathing, and tapped at his liver. Alexei Alexandrovich did not know that his friend Lydia Ivanova, noticing that he was not as well as he usually was that time of year, had begged the doctor to go and examine him. Do this for my sake, the Countess Lydia Ivanova had said to him. I will do it for the sake of Russia, Countess, replied the doctor. A priceless man, said the Countess Lydia Ivanova. The doctor was extremely dissatisfied with Alexei Alexandrovich. He found the liver considerably enlarged, and the digestive powers weakened, while the course of mineral waters had been quite without effect. He prescribed more physical exercise as far as possible, and as far as possible, less mental strain, and above all, no worry. In other words, just what was as much out of Alexei Alexandrovich's power as abstaining from breathing. Then he withdrew, leaving in Alexei Alexandrovich an unpleasant sense that something was wrong with him and that there was no chance of curing it. As he was coming away, the doctor chanced to meet on the staircase an acquaintance of his, Slaudin, who was secretary of Alexei Alexandrovich's department. They had been comrades at university, and though they rarely met, they thought highly of each other and were excellent friends, and so there was no one to whom the doctor would have given his opinion of a patient so freely as Slaudin. How glad I am you've been seeing him, said Slaudin. He's not well, and I fancy, well, what do you think of him? I'll tell you, said the doctor, beckoning over Slaudin's head to his coachman to bring the carriage round. It's just this, said the doctor, taking a finger of his kid glove to his white hand and pulling it. If you don't strain the strings and then try to break them, you'll find it a difficult job. But strain a string to its very utmost and the mere weight of one finger on the strained string will snap it. And with his close assiduity, his conscientious devotion to his work, he strained to the utmost, and there's some outside burden weighing on him, and not a light one, concluded the doctor, raising his eyebrows significantly. Will you be at the races? he added, as he sank into his seat in the carriage. Yes, yes, to be sure. It does waste a lot of time. The doctor responded vaguely to some reply of Slaudin he had not caught. 
directly after the doctor, who had taken up so much time, came the celebrated traveller, and Alexei Alexandrovich, by means of the pamphlet he had only just finished reading, and his previous acquaintance with the subject, impressed the traveller by the depth of his knowledge of the subject, and the breadth and enlightenment of his view of it. At the same time as the traveller, there was announced a provincial marshal of nobility on a visit to Petersburg, with whom Alexei Alexandrovich had to have some conversation. After his departure, he had to finish the daily routine of business with his secretary, and then he still had to drive round to call on a certain great personage on a matter of grave and serious import. Alexei Alexandrovich only just managed to be back by five o'clock, his dinner hour, and after dining with his secretary, he invited him to drive with him to his country villa and to the races. Though he did not acknowledge it to himself, Alexei Alexandrovich always tried nowadays to secure the presence of a third person in his interviews with his wife. Chapter 27 Anna was upstairs, standing before the looking glass, and, with Anushka's assistance, pinning the last ribbon on her gown, when she heard carriage wheels crunching the gravel at the entrance. It's too early for Betsy, she thought, and glancing out of the window, she caught sight of the carriage and the black hat of Alexei Alexandrovich, and the ears that she knew so well sticking up at the side of it. And at the thought of all that might come of such a chance struck her as awful and terrible that, without dwelling on it for a moment, she went down to meet him with a bright and radiant face, and conscious of the presence of that spirit of falsehood and deceit in herself that she had come to know of late. She abandoned herself to that spirit and began talking, hardly knowing what she was saying. Ah, how nice of you, she said, giving her husband her hand and greeting Sludin, who was like one of the family, with a smile. You're staying the night, I hope, was the first word that the spirit of falsehood prompted to utter. And now we'll go together. Oh, it's a pity I've promised Betsy. She's coming for me. Alexei Alexandrovich knit his brows at Betsy's name. Oh, no, I'm not going to separate the inseparables, he said in his usual bantering tone. I'm going with Mikhail Vasilievich. I'm ordered exercise by the doctors too. I'll walk and fancy myself at the springs again. There's no hurry, said Anna. Would you like tea? She rang. Bring in tea, and tell Sir that Alexei Alexandrovich is here. Well, tell me, how have you been? Mikhail Vasilievich, you've not been to see me before. Look how lovely it is out on the terrace, she said turning first to one 
and then to the other. She spoke very simply and naturally, but too much and too fast. She was the more aware of this from noticing in the inquisitive look of Mikhail Vasilievich turned on her that he was, as it were, keeping watch on her. Mikhail Vasilievich promptly went out on the terrace. She sat down beside her husband. You don't look quite well, she said. Yes, he said. The doctor's been with me today and wasted an hour of my time. I feel that someone of our friends must have sent him. My health's so precious, it seems. No, what did he say? She questioned him about his health and what he had been doing, and tried to persuade him to take a rest and come out to her. All this she said brightly, rapidly, and with a peculiar brilliance in her eye. But Alexei Alexandrovich did not now attach any special significance to this tone of hers. He heard only her words and gave them only the direct sense they bore. And he answered simply, though jestingly. There was nothing remarkable in all this conversation. But never after could Anna recall this brief scene without an agonizing pang of shame. Suyosia came in preceded by his governess. If Alexei Alexandrovich had allowed himself to observe, he would have noticed the timid and bewildered eyes with which Suyosia glanced first at his father and then at his mother. But he would not see anything, and he did not see it. Ah, the young man. He's grown. Really. He's getting quite a man. How are you, young man? And he gave his hand to his scared child. Suyosia had been shy of his father before, and now, ever since Alexei Alexandrovich had taken to calling him young man, and since that insoluble question had occurred to him, whether Vronsky were a friend or a foe, he avoided his father. He looked round towards his mother, as though seeking shelter. It was only with his mother that he was at ease. Meanwhile, Alexei Alexandrovich was holding his son by the shoulder while he was speaking to the governess, and Siozia was so miserably uncomfortable that Anna saw he was on the point of tears. Anna, who had flushed a little the instant her son came in, Noticing that Siozia was uncomfortable, got up hurriedly, took Alexei Alexandrovich's hand from her son's shoulder, and kissed the boy, led him out onto the terrace, and quickly came back. It's time to start, though, she said, glancing at her watch. How is it Betsy doesn't come? Yes, said Alexei Alexandrovich and getting up, he folded his hands and cracked his fingers. I've come to bring you some money too. Four nightingales, we know, can't live on fairy tales, he said. You want it, I expect. No, I don't. Yes, I do, 
she said, not looking at him and crimsoning to the roots of her hair. But you'll come back here after the races, I suppose. Oh yes, answered Alexei Alexandrovich. And here's the glory of Petarhoff, Princess Vertskaya, he added, looking out of the window at the elegant English carriage, with the tiny seats placed extremely high. What elegance. Charming. Well, let us be starting too then. Princess Verskaya did not get out of her carriage, but her groom, in high boots, a cape, and black hat, darted out at the entrance. I'm going. Goodbye, said Anna, and kissing her son, she went up to Alexei Alexandrovich and held out her hand to him. It was ever so nice of you to come. Alexei Alexandrovich kissed her hand. Well, au revoir then. You'll come back for some tea. That's delightful, she said, and went out, happy and radiant. But as soon as she no longer saw him, she was aware of the spot on her hand where his lips had touched, and she shuddered with repulsion. Chapter 28 When Alexei Alexandrovich reached the racecourse, Anna was already sitting in the pavilion beside Betsy. In that pavilion were all the highest society had gathered. She caught sight of her husband in the distance. Two men, her husband and her lover, were the two centres of her existence, and unaided by her external senses, she was aware of their nearness. She was aware of her husband approaching a long way off, and she could not help following him in the surging crowd in the midst of which he was moving. She watched his progress towards the pavilion, saw him now responding condescendingly to an ingratiating bow, now exchanging friendly, nonchalant greetings with his equals, now assiduously trying to catch the eye of some great one of this world, and taking off his big round hat that squeezed the tips of his ears. All these ways of his she knew, and all were hateful to her. Nothing but ambition, nothing but the desire to get on, that's all there is in his soul, she thought. As for these lofty ideals, love of culture, religion, they are only so many tools for getting on. From his glances towards the lady's pavilion, he was staring straight at her but did not distinguish his wife in the sea of muslin, ribbon, feathers, parasols, and flowers. She saw that he was looking for her, but she purposefully avoided noticing him. Alexei Alexandrovich, Princess Betsy called to him. I'm sure you don't see your wife, 
here she is. There's so much splendor here that one's eyes are dazzled, he said, and he went into the pavilion. He smiled to his wife, as a man should smile on meeting his wife, only after just parting from her, and greeted the princess and other acquaintances, giving to each what was due, that is to say, jesting with the ladies and dealing out friendly greetings among the men. Below, near the pavilion, was standing an adjutant general of whom Alexei Alexandrovich had a high opinion, noted for his intelligence and culture. Alexei Alexandrovich entered into conversation with him. There was an interval between the races, and so nothing hindered conversation. The adjutant general expressed his disapproval of races. Alexei Alexandrovich replied defending them. Anna heard his high, measured tones, not losing one word, and every word struck her as false and stabbed her ears with pain. When the three-mile steeplechase was beginning, she bent forward and gazed with fixed eyes at Vronsky as he went up to his horse and mounted, and at the same time she heard that loathsome, never-ceasing voice of her husband. She was in an agony of terror for Vronsky, but a still greater agony was the never-ceasing, as it seemed to her, stream of her husband's shrill voice with its familiar intonations. I'm a wicked woman, a lost woman, she thought, but I don't like lying. I can't endure falsehood, while as for him, her husband, it's the breath of his life, falsehood. He knows all about it, he sees it all, what does he care if he can talk so calmly? If he were to kill me, if he were to kill Vronsky, I might respect him. No, all he wants is falsehood and propriety. Anna said this to herself, not considering exactly what it was she wanted of her husband, and how she would have liked to have seen him behave. She did not understand either that Alexei Alexandrovich's peculiar loquacity that day, so exasperating to her, was merely the expression of his inward distress and uneasiness. As a child that has been hurt, skips about, putting all his muscles into movement to drown his pain. In the same way, Alexei Alexandrovich needed mental exercise to drown the thoughts of his wife that in her presence and in Vronsky's, and with the continual iteration of his name, would force themselves on his attention. And it was as natural for him to talk well and cleverly as it is natural for a child to skip about. He was saying, Danger in the races of officers, of cavalrymen, is an essential element in the race. 
if England can point to the most brilliant feats of cavalry in military history, it is simply owing to the fact that she has historically developed this force, both in beasts and in men. Sport has, in my opinion, a great value, and as is always the case, we see nothing but what is most superficial. It's not superficial, said Princess Svetskaya. One of the officers, they say, has broken two ribs. Alexei Alexandrovich smiled his smile, which uncovered his teeth, but revealed nothing more. We'll admit, Princess, that that's not superficial, he said, but internal. But that's not the point, and he turned again to the general with whom he was talking seriously. We mustn't forget that those who are taking part in the race are military men who have chosen that career, and one must allow that every calling has its disagreeable side. It forms an integral part of the duties of an officer. Low sports, such as prize fighting or Spanish bullfights, are a sign of barbarity, but specialized trials of skill are a sign of development. No, I shan't come another time. It's too upsetting, said Princess Betsy. Isn't it, Anna? It is upsetting, but one can't tear oneself away, said another lady. If I'd been a Roman woman, I should never have missed a single circus. Anna said nothing, and keeping her opera glass up, gazed always at the same spot. At that moment, a tall general walked through the pavilion, breaking off what he was saying. Alexei Alexandrovich got up hurriedly, though with dignity, and bowed low to the general. You're not racing? the officer asked, chafing him. My race is a harder one, Alexei Alexandrovich responded differentially. And though the answer meant nothing, the general looked as though he had heard a witty remark from a witty man, and fully relished Le Pont de la Source. There are two aspects, Alexei Alexandrovich resumed those who can take part and those who look on and love for such spectacles in an unmistakable proof of a low degree of development in the spectator. I admit, but... Princess Betts, sounded Stepan Arkadyevich's voice from below, addressing Betsy. Who's your favorite? Anna and I are for Kuzalev replied Betsy. I'm for Voronsky. A pair of gloves. Done. But it is a pretty sight, isn't it? Alexei Alexandrovich paused while there was talking about him, but he began again directly. I admit that manly sports do not, he was continuing. But at the same moment... The races started, and all conversation ceased. 
Alexei Alexandrovich too was silent, and everyone stood up and turned towards the stream. Alexei Alexandrovich took no interest in the race, and so he did not watch the races, but fell listlessly to scanning the spectators with his weary eyes. His eyes rested upon Anna. Her face was white and set. She was obviously seeing nothing and no one but one man. Her hand had convulsively clutched her fan and she held her breath. He looked at her and hastily turning away, scrutinized other faces. But here's this lady too, and others very much moved as well. It's very natural. Alexei Alexandrovich told this to himself. He tried not to look at her, but unconsciously, his eyes were drawn to her. He examined that face, trying not to read what was so plainly written on it, and against his own will, with horror read on it what he did not want to know. The first fall, Kuzelevs, at the stream, agitated everyone. But Alexei Alexandrovich saw distinctly on Anna's pale, triumphant face that the man she was watching had not fallen. When, after Mahatin and Vronsky had cleared the worst barrier, the next officer had been thrown straight on his head at it and fatally injured, and a shudder of horror passed over the whole public. Alexei Alexandrovich swore that Anna did not even notice it, and had some difficulty in realizing what they were talking of about her. But more and more often, and with greater persistence, he watched her. Anna, wholly engrossed as she was with the race, became aware of her husband's cold eyes fixed upon her from one side. She glanced round for an instant, looking inquiringly at him, and with a slight frown, turned again. Ah, I don't care, she seemed to say to him, and she did not once glance at him again. The race was an unlucky one, and of the seventeen officers who rode in it, more than half were thrown and hurt. Towards the end of the race, Everyone was in a state of agitation, which was intensified by the fact that the Tsar was displeased. 